This is Kung Pao Enter the Minute, Minute 30, Opening Frame. A close-up of Woe continuing to explain when she'll meet the Chosen One again. In the sequel. To which he responds by not understanding what she means. Woe literally flies away from the Chosen One and immediately goes headfirst into a large tree above. As the shot fades, we see the Chosen One settles down on the straw-covered ground nearby, pondering a very distinct feature on Woe's chest and the significance it may have had to him. By that we mean the metal eye clasp that holds together Woe's cloak. Oh, oh, you thought he meant that. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, zoom into the clasp as it fades into a similar pendant that we haven't seen for almost half an hour. A reminder to the audience that we may have missed this, that this was worn by the Chosen One's mother. The flashback is interrupted just after young Master Payne arrives at the old cabin. The Chosen One still clearly affected by the memories of the past. The Chosen One looks off to the side and says, Well, at least I have you, boy. As the dog silently moves his mouth and lies down, three seconds later, his bark is finally heard. We cut to what looks to be outside the temple again. No, it's apparently Master Tang walking into the courtyard where Betty had his demonstration. Oh, Taco Bell, Taco Bell, product placement with Taco Bell. The mayor walks up and greets the elderly pervert. <laughs> Master Tang, what are you doing here? To which he responds, I've come to kick ass. As we approach the final frame, we are confronted with an image of Betty, ending up on an extreme close-up of one of his pointy bits. Finally some more Master Tang. I wish it was like, yeah. like the zoom in, zoom out of the pointy bits. But, oh well. Yeah, Master Tang is my guy. Loved him yeah. in the my last appearance on this show. Taco Bell, Taco Bell. He's just he's a great voice. Oh god, that, I I just posted recently on Facebook this like that fact of like it's been my eternal shame as a as probably one of the leading experts on Kung Pao into the minute at this point. I think you're the world's foremost expert. Now I'm the foremost expert on Prometheus. Now you will be the foremost expert. I will not take that acclaim until I finish this project. True, you don't unlock that until yeah, you. you it's the it. unlockable achievement, you know, as it says. But uh, no, as as a huge fan of Kung Pao. Oh, also, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but you actually will be able to shoot laser lasers out of your fingers. Yes. Yeah. After, yes. After you complete a movies by a minute podcast, they don't want you to know that. Damn it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God, imagine the power of my fingertips, literally. Yes. Unlimited power. You will go through more keyboards than usual. But uh-huh. I think it's worth it. <laughs> yes. Well, I've got a light up clacky one, so take that. And I just written on my script. That was not a good idea. Dang. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so, yeah, as someone who is a fan of uh, Kung Pao, especially a diehard fan, I've never, ever had Taco Bell because we are recording this in Australia. Perth, Australia where they do it not, yeah. doesn't exist. There is a Taco Bell over east, or at least there's like a pop-up one occasionally. And I did spend time in America after watching uh, Kung Pao Into the Fist. But um, everywhere I went, there was like no uh, Taco Bell around. So, weird. shit, that's uh, kind of a disappointment. So maybe one day in the future, maybe I can get it Ubered to me from another country. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe when I get those magical laser fingers, I can just, uh, to, you know... No, I'm not going to continue saying I'm going to hijack a plane, because that's just in bad taste. Uh, yeah. I mean, 20 years later, it's still probably not... <laughs> I don't think the TSA can scan for laser fingers. Mm-hmm. True. You are, you are... That's the other thing, that you are actually a human weapon after that point. But again, worth it. 
after you've registered with the government. Yep. <laughs> Involves a surprising amount of anal probing, gotta say. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, as, as long as it's warm. Um, <laughs> speaking of an inappropriate anal probing, uh, Master Tang. Master Tang. I've got to say, first of all, I love the white sock aesthetic. It's just, it, there's something about oh, that, yeah. you know, the, the white socks and the black ballet shoe sort of thing. That immediately looks like it's out of a Kung Fu movie. It's just so iconic. They always remind me of, like, um, the PE shoes we used to have in England. Like, these just black rubber, squeaky freaking... Oh, yeah. Those are so strange. I don't know what, what they're called. Yeah, well, I just used to know as PE shoes, like, mm. you know, physical ed shoes. Uh, I never saw them in Australia, but I was just thinking we had in England. Like, yeah, no, we don't have them here. Yeah, I... Master Tang. <laughs> well, before we get too much into Master Tang, let's... um Get too much in the Tang. Let's delve into the, the final minutes of Woe, and this is what I've been alluding to for at least the last couple of minutes, is... They're called plimsolls. I knew there was a word for them. Oh, there we go. Uh, some bonus education for our dear listeners. Well, what kind of costume designer would I be? Hey, that's it. I, I also think he rocks a good fez as well. Mm, not, not many people can do that. Oh yeah, that's true. I've tried. It doesn't work, unless you have a fake pipe, and that kind of works. So... Okay, so there's been this kind of grotesque, you know, staring at a woman's breast thing. But this is the minute where we finally point out maybe the Chosen One has actually been staring not at her boob, but at her pendant. Yeah, maybe we are the perverts. Maybe we were the perverts all along. Yes, I, I think we were the perverts all along. <laughs> long it literally wasn't until i was analyzing this scene in depth and i was just thinking hang on maybe this wasn't just an elaborate tit joke and it was an elaborate tit joke but uh, you know, maybe in context it's like maybe the chosen one was distracted by the pendant and not the well cleavage uh, he seems like a pretty wholesome guy really he really is you know I, again okay maybe not the tongue hockeying thing you know again you know i'm glad ling wasn't around to see that that was tongue foo it was not tonguing it was tongue foo all right well i said tongue hockey so yeah. like because tonguing is quite a different thing whatsoever and you know check out you porn for that mm -hmm. um, <laughs> It is a good illusion like that, you know, put this pendant on, which also, again, it holds the cape, which helps hide the prosthetic, whatever, strapping, whatever they had to do to get that thing in place and not move. It's not only just a, a good practical thing, it ties this idea of the past with his mother and woe and the extraterrestrial things that we're not quite knowing what's going on yet. Hmm. We've seen one alien reference, and that was a deliberate... Uh... Well, she can fly as well. She is definitely one of the aliens. She was sent here in human yeah. form. Ah, oh, they didn't get it right. They yeah. they were trying to make a human... I don't know, maybe she's an android. I don't know what she is, but they were trying to make a replica of a human and just got some details wrong. Well, I probably don't agree with the android, but considering who I'm talking to, yeah, totally an android. Um, yeah, maybe a replicant, I don't know. Maybe Woe is that little green alien that pops up a few minutes earlier and then, you know, and gets caught on camera. Yeah, I think we're onto yeah. something here. We're onto, we're onto the deeper meaning of, uh, please, Steve Odekirk, just acknowledge us so we can get these answers questioned. Senpai notice us. <laughs> I think uh, have calling him Senpai in this context is 
pretty appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Here's the funny thing is that I've, I hear some people say that's like, you know, you shouldn't do flashbacks in a movie because it's, you know, treating your audience like idiots. Like, you know, they should, they should remember these things. I hate flashbacks. I've been watching a lot of 80s movies and TV shows. There's like, okay, so there's an episode of Miami Vice where um, Crockett <laughs> shoots this kid and then oh, later God. on he gets a flashback to shooting that kid. Like, I was here. I did. It was only 20 I, minutes ago. I think in the context of like a TV series, probably more egregious because it's one of those things where, you know, it's such a short form piece of media. I think it works in this context because it's, it's not just a random flashback to the Chosen One's trauma. Yeah, it's revealing something new about that scene that we didn't see before. Exactly, and like the connection between the pendants, like it ties in some of these themes. Like we have the eye pendant turn up earlier in the movie as a transition between the, the chosen one, you know, growing up and the fight scenes and stuff like that. But there's no context to it. That's the thing that occurs a couple of times in this movie. It's just this out of context symbology. Do you think the chosen one remembers being born? Well, he clearly remembers Master Pain turning up to the door, even though it doesn't look like he was there to witness it like he was in the he was in the basket i love when they do that especially in star trek the next generation where they're like <laughs> we'll review the security footage it's not security footage it's just it's just in camera <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do think they do it right occasionally like they'll review like security footage and it is like you know clearly from a security camera type angle i do love it when they do that but yeah, like personal logs and stuff like that. And it's just clearly more non-diegetic uh, footage. Yeah, yeah. I love that trope. It's terrible. I have for many years been trying to figure out if there's a way you could classify diegetic and non-diegetic costumes. You know, I think every other okay. aspect of filmmaking has its diegetic and non-diegetic aspects. But costume, not really. The only example I could possibly think of, this is just a theory I'm working on, is in Westworld, the TV series, I think his name was Will, uh, was going into Westworld for the first time, and they present him with a black hat and a white hat to make that choice between what kind of character are you going to play. And for me, that kind of feels like a diegetic choice, whereas in traditional westerns, the hero wearing the white hat and the villain wearing the black hat is not a conscious choice on their half. God, costuming diagenics. See, technically it's all diagenic because it's on camera, it exists within the universe. Yeah. The only examples I can think of is when there's a gaff, like someone who's like part of the um the crew is in the background yeah. of the shot accidentally. That's technically non-diagenic because they're not supposed to be in that universe looking that way. And it is fascinating when it ha to, for me, it's really fascinating because as well. So the most recent example was in the Mandalorian. I didn't actually see it when I watched yeah. the show, but there is a guy in the background, and you yeah. just suddenly, especially as a costume person, suddenly realize. Wow, it takes a lot to make someone look like they're a part of this universe. You you take for granted mm. what the Star Wars universe looks like. But then the moment mm. you have an average person walk through that, you go, whoa, this is a really different world. I never realized just how much it deviates from our reality. Yeah, science fiction especially has a deliberately developed aesthetic. You know, Star Trek has an aesthetic that is vastly different to star wars which is vastly different to stargate which is vastly different 
and so on and so on until the eventual end of the universe. And then, you know, if you you make a movie where, you know, you just throw every single intellectual property into that one film and then you expect it to be coherent or in any way visually engaging and not just vomit on a screen. And yeah, I'm talking about Ready Player One. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing when you think about a comedy is that what I'm saying about like, you know, a crew member accidentally being on the set is technically would be a non-diagenic piece of costuming mm. but then comedy always breaks that those rules and so for my, the, the example that comes to mind is Spaceballs, where there's the joke where you, they capture the stunt doubles yes that's <laughs> technically things like or when like you know um a dark helmet slices a crew member with a lightsaber <laughs> that's technically diegetic yeah because where do you draw the line between meta and diegetic yeah. because in that in the example I gave in Westworld where the the white and the black hat is very they're choosing that consciously rather than it just being a part of that reality. Yeah. So is it meta or is it non-diegetic or diegetic? I, I, I don't know. You're making me think, and that's what we shouldn't be doing on a Kung Pao. No, I'm just kidding. No, I love it. I love you got it. the alien prequels person on. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> No, I genuinely appreciate it. That actually gives me something to think about because, yeah, meta humor is always a bit weird in that. It's nebulous, I should say. It's like. Yeah. Like, Woe's costume, I would say, is meta, but it's definitely diegetic. It's it's there, you know. Yeah. There's no metatextual references going on. There's no reference. There's no explicit reason. But at the same time, that's just how she exists within this world. Uh, actually, yeah, going on what you were saying before, you know, stunt uh, people or extras or whatever, sometimes you do have makeup crew walk on, like, as part of the gag. <laughs> you know, you have the actor. Yeah. Or the, you have the character still in character, but then you have makeup yeah. crew walk on. I think those yeah. would be non or diegetic sorry um non diegetic sorry i'm getting confused fuck non diegetic to it's meta it's meta yeah it's meta as well yeah com- comedies are their own unique beast because part of a comedy is subverting expectations yeah. it's like going left instead of right it's- zigging instead of zagging yeah it's comedy is often about you know challenging expectations or subverting them or doing something about that that's why sometimes bad comedy isn't funny because it's like oh I, I kind of saw this joke coming a mile away and it wasn't particularly funny to begin with insert audio clip of galvatron saying it's not a coronation it's bad comedy is that from the movie or from the movie yeah coronation starscream this is bad comedy. Yeah, I don't want to go into too much of a tangent, but I'm a little <laughs> upset that Leonard Nimoy is does a better Megatron voice than Megatron. It's been a long time since I've uh, watched the movie, though I haven't just tried to gl- deliberately clip out um, Spike saying, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's such an amazing movie, especially you just watch it at night, complete darkness, maybe slightly stoned, and this is a <laughs> masterpiece, fucking masterpiece. But yeah, Leonard Nimoy doesn't have to put on the voice. Like, Frank Welker, especially at the time, sounded more like Fred, so to sound like Megatron, he had to do a character <laughs> voice. But Leonard Nimoy always had that very husky, gravelly kind of voice going on. Well, well, by that stage, uh, yeah, he's... I've gone back and watched Star Trek like from the beginning and stuff like that a few times. And if you look at like 60s Leonard Nimoy, well, he does have that voice. He doesn't have that burr or that huskiness to his voice. Yeah. And then you get to... I don't know if he, he was, was a smoker, a smoker. Or Oh, he was. Yeah, there you go. Because that's the same thing that happened yeah. to Lance Henriksen where it's really rough now. And yeah. 
yeah, I think he quit smoking sometime. I think it might have been the 80s because of health reasons. And he ultimately did die through um, lung cancer. Mm. You know, that's sad but true. You know, even though he's been hadn't had to smoke for like decades at that point, it did enough damage. Don't smoke, kids. Yeah, who does that anymore? Uh, I'm sadly a few people, and uh, I just does. That's if there's one industry I wish would just collapse and die overnight, it's probably the cigarette industry. Oh my god, yeah. But yeah, that's why his voice was a lot more rougher later on. And I think the thing is, I think that worked for older Spock as well. Yeah, it did. Yeah, like especially like in like Wrath of Khan, where he's just having to deliver that final line, and he's just like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" It, yeah, it, it it still affects me, and like, "Oh my god!" So good. yeah, you're hearing that age in his voice. Um, but yeah, Frank Walker still sounds very youthful now, and yet his Megatron now sounds better than mm. ever. Ah, uh, okay. I just try to because okay. So in the first Bay Formers, it was performed by Hugo, Hugo Weaving. Yeah. But did they didn't they change back to Frank Welker after that, um, or did they get another back voice actor? Frank Welker is Galvatron. I think Hugo Weaving was Megatron for all of them. I could I could have swore I heard that he wasn't returning for the rest of the movies, but I don't know. I've not watched them. No, well, Megatron doesn't come back. He comes back as Galvatron, so that's how they get away with that. Oh, okay, there. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. they basically stole from the better movie. Yeah, again. Um, but. <laughs> Yeah, so in Transformers Prime, they actually wanted him to sound more naturalistic. So while it is deep and husky, it, it is more natural. Like, if you heard someone speaking like that out of context, you go, oh, it sounds a little unusual, but yeah, fairly normal. Okay, uh, I I did watch the first episode of Prime, and I, uh, I, yeah. like, I can vaguely recall what Megatron sounds like. Um, yeah, you'll want to jump deeper ahead into season one. It, it takes a little while. Yeah, I might, <laughs> I might just jump ahead. Speaking of jump, no, I don't have anything for speaking of jumping ahead. I'm currently looking at a frame of uh, of Betty with his pointy things, and I'm looking at the doggo. Ah, oh, the doggo. That is such a great gag. And... Yeah, what I wanted to say about the doggo is, I'm just imagining them sitting in the editing suite and going, no, 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 a second more, no, no, no a second more. Yeah. I just, yes. you gotta the time, like how the maximal amount of time you can extend it for the joke to work. Because I think if you go too long or not long enough, it doesn't work. I think they hit the sweet spot. This is the second time there's been the delayed bark joke. It does happen early on in the the chosen one is first in Master Tang's dojo, mm. and it's just a quick cut, and it's a the visual bark, and then half a second later is the actual bark. But yeah, I love how this one's like bark. Yawn, lie down, and then it happens. It's <laughs> a very cute dog. I think that's the last time we get that joke with with the dog. And see, I would go crazier after that. You know, a few delayed barks, <laughs> and then start putting other animal noises in there. You know, cat noises, a, a cow. No, that's in the audio commentary where Steve Odekirk will occasionally meow over the bark. <laughs> <laughs> see, he should have done it. Now, what I really love about Kung Pao is that they actually try to make it look dated you know mm. I think the the reshot bits if you know what you're looking for you can tell that was filmed in the 2000s and the rest was filmed in the 60s 80s the original was done in the 70s yeah because it could go either way it's very time agnostic but you know having watched Wonder Woman 1984 recently and Bumblebee you know they're set in the 80s and then I just recently learned that Wonder Woman they were actually trying to film it 
to look like it was from the 80s, and it does not look that way at all. And it frustrates me. I think the problem with that is that you have things like, let's face it, it's the, the Schneider aesthetic Schneider. of Wonder Woman, mm. a costume especially. There is a tone that the studio would probably demand, and I don't think it's as, as egregious in Wonder Woman 84. It's more egregious in Shazam, a movie that should be bright and colourful, and it just has that kind of smear of brownie sludge that a Schneider film kind of has. Really? I thought that was quite a vibrant film. No, they're like the the blacks are really toned down the whites are toned down like even like shazam's costume is like a darker red it's it's a slightly um oh so it's doing that marvel mid-tone thing yeah it's one of those things where i reckon have you ever seen the um someone did a video was called the man of steel recolorized no it's only like two minutes long or something like that it's, it's not that much but they basically cranked up the satirization a bit and tried to match it to the photos we've seen of like especially like superman's costume on set so like he's yellow on his suit is actually yellow and not this pasty white thing it must be so frustrating as you know if you're doing costume design set design any of that and you put all this work into something looking a certain way, and then say, like, oh, you know, yeah. we're going to crush that palette all the way. Yeah, this is one of the reasons I loathe that film. I, they kind of changed a little bit of that in Batman Five Superman. You know, they actually you added color, but then they went too far in the opposite direction and just went, we're just going to have a color tone in every scene, and it's mostly sickly green. <laughs> but it's not really that hard to do these effects, <laughs> you know, like to make a movie look like it was from the 80s, before you had post-production and all that digital stuff, it would have been mm. quite hard. But now it's an Instagram filter, so there's no excuse. Colorization has happened all the way since, like, the 1960s. It'd just be post-processing. It'd just be, like, you know, adding filters to the camera as it's being pre um, developed and stuff like that. It's just... Um, yeah. It's the analog versions, but, yeah, it was very complicated and took a long time. Because watching a lot of 80s media lately, you know, Miami Vice and all of that, it's like, there are many, many moments where I go, other than the film quality, I couldn't tell this was made in the 80s. You know, I would hmm. love to play around with it in, you know, I guess After Effects or whatever, maybe you can make it look more modern, because really what ages it is just that desaturated look, the lack of post-production, you know, whereas most movies now... Hannibal, the NBC Hannibal actually had a really good long featurette on it where they showed they're basically airbrushing and photoshopping every single freaking frame and yeah. adjusting all the colors and everything. And that's yeah. why modern film looks so different. And I wish they wouldn't do that when they're setting it in the fucking 80s. Well, uh, as I said, the problem is as well. Okay, so just talking about camera technicalities. If you're shooting outdoors, light is hard to control. So, you know, nowadays that's an easy fix. But, mm. like, you know, that's that's exposure times and stuff like that and uh, focal lengths and all that. It's the, the magic between a focal length exposure time to get a good photo. So you also got to remember, like, shows like uh, Miami Vice and Night Ride and all that, it was all shot on film. Yeah. So the crazy thing is, if you can get a hold of that footage, it, probably, it might not be 35mm. It probably was 35mm. I have no idea. But if you can get a hold of the original negatives, you can blow that shit up to 4K. I know. Like, Star Trek The Next Generation looks amazing and looks newer than DS9. Because DS9 and Voyager and all that, they've never been upscaled. But They were shot on video. Yeah. Whereas, uh, I think... Oh, DS9 did both, I think. So, uh, let me just try to remember. So, the 
the bridge stuff, the the actor stuff was shot on film for TNG, but the special effects were shot on video. That's right. God, video is hideous. Well, actually, if you're going for a retro look, you know, if I was to make another Stargate, for example, I'd still want to mm. shoot it on video because that is so, <laughs> to me, that is as much a character in Stargate as any other, you know? Well, that's it. Aesthetic choices are always something you need to kind of talk about when you're developing a project like this. But if you're wanting to do something retro, yeah, why not just go and dive into that. I said, I'm not defending Wonder Woman's cinematography like that. Cinematography-wise, it was a very competently well-made film in that. Uh, Except for the fight scene that's basically in the dark. Oh, I don't mind that it wasn't trying to ape the style of the 80s. I'm, if I think I'm glad that they went for with colour in the movie, like those bright 80s colours really did pop really well. Hmm. But I don't particularly gave a shit if it's like, oh, I'm listening to Ongo Boingo on the soundtrack or anything like that. Like, you know. I know. That's the only reason. Okay. Well, I went in <laughs> going, I want a great 80s experience, which, you know, Bumblebee, actually, good soundtrack, very, very 80s. But Wonder Woman did not provide on that front. Uh, but then I came out but with I don't think a. Bumblebee actually did that much 80s. Oh, yeah. I'm I sorry mean, to be contrarian. <laughs> the soundtrack. I mean, the soundtrack is lots of of the hits i don't think an 80s soundtrack would have fitted wonder woman <laughs> but it's set in the 80s so fucking go for it cowards yes but not everything in the 80s was like you know i don't know you know not exactly you know going outside and hearing the latest okay yeah probably was listening to the top 80s yeah it's also um, rights issues as well but anyway i went in expecting a, a great 80s experience didn't get that but left with yeah. basically a beautiful lesbian romantic movie about a superhero and a supervillain so yeah that's that was actually the, probably the best thing about uh that movie is they definitely need to make another movie just so they can hook up uh diana and barbara yeah i mean i i i, I had to leave before the end but i'm going to assume that after Cheetah was defeated, Diana comes back and, you know, Barbara is, has gotten her shit together again. She gives her a gift of, of nice flat shoes and they go on a date <laughs> and, you know, they just see where it goes from there, you know. And I think that's very progressive. I, I, have, I have some bad news to tell you. You <laughs> missed the best scene of the movie because it was exactly that. Oh, wow. I'm so glad that happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, the actual end credit scene is we finally see who Asteria is. Mm -hmm. And it was Linda Carter. Yeah, I'm glad they brought I'm her I'm making back. shaky hand moments. moments. Yes. Yeah. She's still cute. Oh, I fucking have a, I have a crush on her so badly. Yeah. I follow her on Facebook. And it's like, damn, I wish I was that gorgeous. And I wish I was that gorgeous now. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> I have no idea where we are in this podcast anymore. We were up to <laughs> Big Man Tang, Robert just swinging his wang all over the place, singing about Taco Bell. I do love how they add the little uh, digital bag of Taco Bell on the table. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they have to use digital effects, this is this is using the technology to its greatest effect. Well, you got to remember, this is the same court, courtyard where the Hooters sign is as well. Oh, I fucking love this film. <laughs> are the tables... I, I'm not even... No, the tables are really there. It's just the, the content on the table they've changed. Yeah, it's just the... Uh, it's, it's the exact same courtyard where the, the demonstration is. The, basically, the mayor's palace. I do love the setup with the whole idea. I think it's set up better in this movie than it is in the original about the whole thing of these triangles being a massive thing that 
the chosen one has to you know, get rid of. Yeah. So what are they in the original film? No idea. <laughs> I could not tell you. They're not. They're just a thing that he has on his chest, but. In the same way that the Chosen One has to learn how to remove them, Seng Chen has to do the same thing, although without the whining or the physical abuse from Ling. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he has to penetrate Mm. his fingers in deep enough to remove the the triangles without, you know, getting hurt in the same process. And even the gag with the squirrel is kind of riffing on what the original one did. I think it's like a metal plate. He pretty much Clint Eastwood's it. Mm. Okay, I stole that one from Back to the Future, but it's still a Clint reference. Hey, if it works, use it. <laughs> is there a Back to the... That's got to be a Back to the Future podcast. Yes, there is. Damn it. Moves by minute. Yeah, sadly, sorry. But we got... We locked out with bloody... We locked out with uh, Robocop. Oh, I was for sure certain that that had already been done. No, it was all ours. <laughs> they were cowards. It's ours, baby. Yeah. So, I think that's all my notes. I don't really have much else to add. I honestly didn't have that many notes to begin with. I'm just, let me just double check. I'm a riff master, come and at ya. Uh, I, I tend to just like to uh, bring in a guest and let them run loose. And uh... So this is the Movies by Minute Daycare Center. I know from podcasting you for three months now. Mm. Ah, yeah. I can just wind you up and let you go and uh, occasionally make some fart jokes. Well, yeah, I, I, I already, I always come fully prepared, and I've, I never run out of things to say. I don't think. Have I ever run out of things to say? Well, also, like it, it saves me from running out of things to say for the other forty-eight minutes still to come. Mm. But as always, it has been an absolute pleasure, and thank you once again for joining me on this crazy freaking adventure out of this movie Hmm. and where can the viewers find you yeah uh i have been and i shall be your (laughs) (laughs) co-host oh god do we have to do a remake and then i'm the one that dies and like i have to pretend to be captain kirk and yeah but you don't have to worry about it for like 20 years so oh okay that's fine we'll burn that bridge when we get to it although i must admit chris again chris pine in wonder woman kind of kirking it up again Mm, yep so, you can find me at traviandesigns.com, T-R-A-V-A-A-N. I mean, oh, and I forgot to mention in the previous minutes, uh, Alien Prequels by Minute on Facebook. That's that's the place where we could have, you know, discussions and stuff. Doesn't happen often, yeah. but if you want to, we could. And there's patreon.com slash traviandesigns. I'll make sure to link that in the uh, show notes. Yeah. And Robocop, 60 seconds to comply. Yes. The one where we actually talk seriously about things for a change. Yeah. Well, we're not being thirsty about BBC. <laughs> yeah, that's the latest minute. That's a sneak preview for two minutes from now. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, once again, thank you very much. And I'm going to cut to future Simon, who's going to talk about the other bullshit. Jumanji. <laughs> that's it. Robocock. <laughs> and what Robo-talk. do we say on this show? Let's move forward onto the audio commentary, in which Paul remarks about whoa. She's a little clumsy on the in and and out, we've picked up on. And an introspective moment here for the chosen one. Yeah, this is where, hey, wait a second. Let me go back to the, the, uh... So you remember the baby with the thing in the hand and the, right in front of the scene, boom. And it's a whole, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, symbols of, of good and evil, again, follow the arc of the entire story of the chosen one, which is a little much larger than than this movie, and everything's wrapped up in the trailer at the end of the movie, right? I mean, that's 
No, that's just the next, oh, uh, next, the next installment. The next installment. It was Paul Marshall's idea to delay the bark that much, which was very I feel very good nice. about that. Paul also comments about this scene with Master Tang. This we did, we have 45 different versions of, of this what he's, Of what he does when he walks in. That was the intoxicating <laughs> we, thing about this movie. We would do five, six, seven passes at a time in a, in a specific sequence, and you would just start riffing stuff. And in this minute of what are they really saying, I'm not entirely sure what the Chosen One is trying to let us know here. I have a German pull toy. Let's face it, there's nothing else it could have been for the audiobook. It had to be this. Taco Bell, Taco Bell, product placement with Taco Bell. En Chirito, Macho Burrito. Once again, I'd like to thank my co-host, Courtney Coulson, for joining me on this latest bracket of minutes. Apart from our uh, weekly musings on Robocop, you can definitely should go and check out the Alien Prequels by Minute series. Prometheus is just ending and Covenant is starting to load up publicly. If you want advanced episodes, go check out the Patreon. Speaking of Patreon, there is Fanboy Crossing at Patreon and Ko-Fi. But more importantly, please go and you know give likes and comments and shares and all the other things to the YouTubes, the Simplecast, the Apples, the Googles, the Spotify's and God knows how many other services I've thrown this in 60 seconds to comply up on. More importantly please keep safe out there and I'll see you next week. Mm